0: We're going to be in the book of Ruth again today, chapter two, if you want to turn there. We're reading the entirety of it. <clears throat> Give me a second to get there. Give myself a second to get there. The heading for our sermon series in the book of Ruth is New Beginnings, and it's a timely thing in one sense as we consider a new year to think about the new beginning we've received in Christ and just and sort of be able to hit the reset button, um, as it were, for our, our year ahead, but also for our own perspective on Christ and on uh, the life that we live now in Him. And Ruth has a lot to say about that. I don't need this, but thank you. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. So as we turn to Ruth, I want to remind you of uh, the few Bibles that are ahead of you. If you um, didn't bring a Bible with you, or if you, were, uh, if you were thinking maybe you just pull up the Bible on your phone, you're free to do that, but I'd encourage you um, to pick up a paper Bible and um, turn the pages, and um, as the pages turn, just kind of consider the, the weightiness of what God has given us in His Word. It's such a privilege that we have um, His Word here delivered to us by His grace that we might know um, his story here, redemptive history, but also have direction for how to live in light of that as well. Um, Reading the the Bible is the most important thing we do in our worship service. Um, It's something that you can do every day as you go about your regular life, but it's also, there's something special about us gathering together, opening up a book and saying, this is why we're here right now, right? So we're participating in that together. Um, We're in Ruth chapter 2. I'll go ahead and read that and pray. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his, the, to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves. Sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field, or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your, ears, your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels, and drink what the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and saying to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you didn't know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her the roasted grain. She ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean, even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. And then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an afa of barley. She took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Would you pray with me as we ask the Lord for help as we look at his word? Father, what a beautiful story this is. And this is such a heartwarming section of it to see your mighty hand of redemption in Ruth and Naomi's life. And we see such a great example of of the truth of what it means to be brought into your family and to be redeemed, to be under the shelter of your wings as we go about the work that you've prescribed for us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts to hear your word, to be transformed by it for your glory and our good and joy in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. You may be familiar with the old hymn. This is one that, um, though I grew up singing many hymns, I wasn't familiar with until. Um, recently, but it is a hymn called God Moves in Mysterious Ways. Do you know that one? That sound familiar at all? And it goes like this. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep and unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye, ye fearful saints, fresh courage take The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain particularly considering the sovereign work of God in the life of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. um, That hymn seems to find a great place as we look at chapter 2 of Ruth. And as we consider Ruth and Naomi's new beginning in this land that Naomi was familiar with, that she had left for a sojourn because of a famine um, with her husband, with her two sons. She went to Moab, not really the place that you would expect a, an, Israel, an Israelite to go to one of the lands of their enemies in order to find um, hope of food and bread, leaving a place like Bethlehem, which means house of bread, um, in order to find bread elsewhere. And unfortunately, tragedy strikes for her, if you remember. Um, Naomi's husband Elimelech dies. Um, his two, her two sons, who have married Moabite women, um, they pass away as well, and she's left with just her two daughters-in-law. And uh, only one of them comes with her as she returns to Bethlehem after hearing that the Lord had visited his people and brought them food. So there's great hope there, but there's also great sorrow. If you remember, Naomi came back to Bethlehem with a new name. She said, don't call me Naomi. She said, call me Mara. Now, do you remember what Mara means? It means bitterness, right? Bitter, very bitter. And Naomi, her name means pleasant. It's very clear here. She's no longer pleasant. The Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Well, the scene this week opens up in chapter two with a very interesting hint, and we'll get there in a second, um, about Boaz. But, But what we see here, first off, is Ruth is going to move into a new phase of life. She is, in a sense, taking on a new job. And I imagine many of us can remember pretty vividly the last new job that we had, or maybe many of the new jobs that we've had, um, those times where we've come into a new environment and had to learn a new way, a new, uh, new product to manufacture, a new uh, group of people to communicate with, whatever that thing may be, uh, you probably have a pretty good memory of your first day on the job. And if you haven't had a job yet, maybe you remember your first day of school. Uh, maybe school in and of itself is, is kind of a, uh, an example here of what Ruth is going through as far as being in a new environment, doing something that she seems to know how to do pretty well. She works all day at it, and there's no mention of her needing to learn or, or uh, figure out how to go about the practice here, but she's in a new land, and all she has is her trust in the Lord and her friend, Naomi. Naomi. And it's, it's very interesting that, you know, we consider Ruth and Naomi as friends because at this point, though she is her daughter-in-law, she had every reason and every right, Naomi would say, to leave Naomi and find a new husband for herself. And that was Naomi's advice to Ruth. Go back to your own land and find a new life. May you be blessed by the Lord there. Ruth was so taken by the truth of who God is and and the revelation of that through Naomi that she wanted to be a part of God's covenant people. And so she says in the end of chapter one, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. She's committed her whole life to Naomi and to the God of Naomi as well. And so with that, she comes to this new job. And she has to figure out how to fulfill tasks, how to impress, how to improve. All those questions are going on in her mind that we would have um, as on our first day on the job or our first day of school. How do we go about this and go about, about this well? And uh, you consider other challenges like a learning curve or difficult coworkers or a tough boss. Maybe just facing the monotony of what a new job may be and you realize, I don't know if I can do this for eight hours in a day. I've been there a couple times. Maybe there's a lack of clear significance in the work that we feel we do sometimes where we wonder, what is really the point? I clock in, I clock out, and then I go back to my real life and pretend like that never happened. Well, Ruth had to start a new job, and she needed to trust in the grace of God through others more than her own work ethic, her own understanding, her own skill. Even though she clearly had those things, certainly when it comes to work, work, wow, that's a tough phrase to say. Work ethic. Does anybody else ever have trouble with that one? Work ethic. Work ethic. Okay, anyway, she clearly has it, right? She does a good job. (laughs) And, And what I think the Lord wants us to know here from this chapter is that trusting in his grace, we have to move forward in confidence in him. He is our redeemer. We cannot simply say, I want this new beginning and I-, I believe that God's going to help me to start over when it seems like everything's already over, but I'm just going to kind of sit here and wait for it to happen. Well, Ruth is a great example in this chapter, particularly that that's not at all how God works. Now, there's a phrase that goes around and we I think we've talked about it before too, but you hear it often. It's not in the Bible whatsoever, but people say that God helps those who do what? Help themselves. Help themselves. Nothing could be further from the truth of who God is and what his plan is for interacting with people. Helping ourselves does not give us a certain credit before the Lord that shows that we are worthy of his additional help. But rather, he looks to all the poor and powerless. He looks to those who are weak, those who are outcasts, those who are alone, those who recognize their need for him in whatever context that might be. And he moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. So let's look at this. First um, through verses 1 through 7, we see Ruth's service and the Lord's providence. And if you remember the word providence, it's just a fancy biblical word for how God works out all these things according to his plan. Now, unlike other stories and movies and books that you might read, we're going to go ahead and give you the spoiler. If you don't know already, Ruth and Boaz get married in the end and they have a baby And that baby has a baby who has a baby. And then eventually we get to a very important biblical character named David. And he becomes the king in the Old Testament. He is the guy. He is the hero in the, in the typical mind of the um, Israelite in the Old Testament. He is King David. He is the one who rules justly and well and who has a heart after the Lord. And, and, and he's not perfect. And we could talk about David's story. But the truth here is that Ruth is going to be swept up into this bigger story of what God is doing. And she doesn't get swept up in it because she's just sitting around. She doesn't get swept up in it because she's working as hard as she possibly can. And God looks at her and says, oh, wow, she should be a part of my plan. That's a good one right there. So we shouldn't think of ourselves in that way either. But the first thing we see that's interesting in verse 1, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, named Boaz. This is the author making a comment in the middle of the story. Boaz hasn't shown up story-wise yet, right? comes up later after ruth makes her plan with naomi then she happens to be in boaz's field but the author wants you to know first and foremost boaz is an important guy and he's going to show up in the story and it's not going to be just as simple as we might read in chapter two when it says uh verse three she set out and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to boaz It's not as simple as just saying oh she just she rolled the dice and she landed on hey you should go that way she you know she did paper scissors rock and boaz's field run one this was actually the lord's sovereign providential working in ruth's life not only to redeem her but in fact to redeem a whole people for himself because again who comes through the line of david jesus christ the king of kings, the true king. Well, what is it we learn about Boaz here? We learn that he's a worthy man. That there's a lot of words that you know, we can kind of understand in this context here. But given the, the context of what we see from Boaz, we see that worthy means actually a very godly man. He's a noble man. He's a man of valor. He is someone to look up to. He's respected. He loves the Lord and he loves people. Interestingly enough, when we get next week to chapter three, we'll see Ruth being called the exact same thing, a worthy woman. And so this, this match is already kind of made perfectly in our minds as we read this story, um, understanding that we see the whole context. Well, in verse two, sorry, in chapter two, verse one, we have Boaz showing up here, and then we have Ruth um, not actually seeking something that is meant to be provided for something that she has a right to and this is very interesting because you know she went out to glean right and do you understand what gleaning was in the old testament in the old testament the law was that you if you owned a field could not reap all of what you actually of what the harvest was at the time of harvest you had to leave the corners of your field for the poor and the widows and for those who had nothing It was God's way of providing for those who had nothing through people who had an abundance. And it shows, in fact, the purpose of God's giving abundance to us. Why is it that somebody uh, just seems to prosper so well, whereas someone else doesn't? Well, it's because in this this picture, in the story, we see a picture of what that really is. That God is blessing somebody like Boaz so that he can bless somebody like Ruth. And so that she can bless somebody like Naomi so they can provide for each other out of the abundance of what God has done and give us a picture of who God truly is. Now, what's fascinating is that Ruth comes in, and look at what she says in verse 2. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find what? Did you see it? Favor. Favor, kindness, grace, undeserved goodness right getting something good that we don't deserve is what favor and grace is but the law requires that if ruth is an alien she's a she's a foreigner she's poor she's a widow she fits almost every category of somebody who should have the right to glean in any of these fields to care for herself and her family but does she look for her rights she doesn't she looks for favor she looks for grace when it comes to something like rights, it's a very difficult thing for us as Americans, right? We love our rights, don't we? We love our freedom of speech. We love our freedom of assembly. We love the freedom to bear arms. We love all, you know, pick your pick your right. And boy, we sometimes cling to those so well. But what Ruth is doing here is even though she has that right, she has every legal reason to go into the field and, and take what she needs for her and her family, for her and Naomi, she's not looking for what, what is owed to her. She's looking for grace. And she knows that much about the Lord who she has come to worship and who, under whose wings she has now come to be a part of God's family. She knows that she's going to find not necessarily something so small as something that was given to her as a right, but actually grace. And in fact, as we hold so tightly to our rights, whatever those rights may be, and and perhaps you have one that you could think of in your head that you could say, this right is very valuable to me. The Lord doesn't actually want us to live in light of our rights. He wants us to live in light of grace. I mean, Look at at the gospel message is not to say that Jesus died for those to whom, those whom deserved salvation, that had a right to it. Jesus died for those who were his enemies, who what they deserved was in fact condemnation and separation from God and eternal punishment forever. And Ruth gets this idea in her head and she even says it to Naomi, I'm looking for favor. I'm not looking for my rights. Even though she had every reason to be able to claim that. And then of course, as we said, she happens upon Boaz's field. What are the chances? Pretty good. Why are they pretty good? Because God is sovereignly working out his good plan for Ruth, for Naomi, for Boaz, for the house of Israel, for the church. This book of Ruth isn't just about how God helped a small family get by, though it is about that. And in our everyday, seemingly insignificant situations that we find ourselves, we ought to realize that God is working out his marvelous plan. And that when we see him, when we come into his kingdom fully in eternity, I think we'll feel the weight of that. That the things that seemed perhaps menial or, or rudimentary or simple or meaningless, whatever, however we might describe our, our daily chores or our, our work at times, whatever that might be, the Lord values those things. And that's something we need to pull from here. And he values them through giving us the grace to do them for his glory. So what is it that we get wrong when it comes to these things, when when it comes to receiving his grace? Well, the thing that we get wrong is that we so often fall into the pressure of our culture to think that I need to get where I'm going to get on my own steam, with my own energy, with my own talents, with my own determination, my own work ethic, that somebody that we might be able to read chapter two and say, yeah, Ruth deserved to be noticed by Boaz, didn't she? She was working hard. She left all sorts of other opportunities so that she could help Naomi. If anybody was going to be noticed in that field, it ought to be Ruth. She deserves it. That's not how Ruth thinks, and that's not how the Lord thinks. But it is, unfortunately, sometimes how we think. We finish the work day. We finish our our day getting our kids to bed and getting the dishes washed. Whatever point where you sit down and you think, I did the thing today, and how did I do? Did I do well? I think it went all right. Why do I feel that way? Well, I worked really hard. I did what I was supposed to. I accomplished the task, and it's over, and God's pleased with me, right? That might be true, but there's something deeper than that. Because every day, everything that we are given to do is, is not given for us to do on our own power, but to do in complete reliance on him. Think of the Tower of Babel. Maybe you read that as you're going through the reading plan with us. Genesis chapter 11. Um, In the Tower of Babel, you have all the nations of the world gathering together, and they say this in verse 4, Let us gather together and make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. you know the irony of that phrase that they say is that this is exactly what God wanted them to do. He wanted them to be dispersed over the earth, Right? after the flood subsided. And he said to Noah, you know, I want you to fill the whole earth. I want your descendants to take up the whole planet and, and grow and prosper in that way. And they said, Hey, we ought to build a tower and stay here and make a name for ourselves. Because if we don't, we're going to end up doing what God wants us to do. Isn't that ironic? That's what they were created to do. And they're working against it. And that's why he confused their languages. But so often when we think only in terms of working on our own steam for our own effort, we're doing that because we want to make a name for ourselves. And we might be able to say, no, this is actually a very humble thing that I'm trying to do. I want to show the Lord that I care about what he's calling me to do. And so I, I do want to work on my own steam. I do want to give of myself. And you know, Paul even says in Romans, the book of Romans to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice before the Lord. So how am I supposed to do that if I'm not working on my own steam. And in that attitude, we find the same thing that they found at the Tower of Babel, Babel, making a name for ourselves rather than living under the name of Christ. Well, this is, of course, not what Ruth does. So Ruth is going, she finds, she's looking for favor, and we come to verse four, Boaz came from Bethlehem. He says to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. And this is such a special little moment because we realize here the relationship that Boaz, the employer, has with the Reapers, his employees. They come in and the thing that he does is not, okay, how are you guys doing? Are you getting this all done? Are you on task? He doesn't go through the checklist. The first thing that he says, at least as we understand here, is the Lord be with you. I don't know if you're an employer or if you have people that work under you or maybe you're just... Maybe it's it's just a matter of the fact that you're around people, and it doesn't really matter so much whether you have authority or not. But the thing that is noted about Boaz and the community that he works with, lives with, however you want to apply it to your own situation, is that he acknowledges the presence of God in their everyday work. What they're about to do, he says, "The Lord be with you." And they don't stop and go, "Do you know what we're doing? We're just farming. That's not important." The Lord doesn't care about this. Isn't he like in the church writing a profound sermon for this Sunday? Isn't he waiting for me to come home so I can do my good duty of reading my Bible and praying and and maybe serving somebody else? No, he is in the midst of the work that you are called to do tomorrow morning or maybe this afternoon. The next time you clock in to whatever your job is, Boaz teaches us here that the Lord is present and cares about the things that we do day to day regardless of how we feel about that. And thinking again about being in a new beginning as we're considering Ruth in all of this. Her new beginning started with saying, I need to start over, even though it seems like everything's over. And now we have, and I'm sorry, I didn't give you the title for today, but the title for today is Gleaning Under His Wings. And that's what Boaz is going to say to her. But she says, knowing knowing that the Lord is a God of grace, I'm going to go work under that truth. Not in order to earn or contradict that grace, but in light of and as an expression of worship to the God who has given me this favor. And as I go, I'm not going to look for my own rights or my own um, blessings, my own rewards, but rather I'm going to look for favor all over the place because God is working through these people, like people like Boaz, who says, The Lord be with you. And then you see the response of the people with him, The Lord bless you. Now, I I imagine maybe there was some that didn't chime in so loudly with that. I mean, they're working in a field after all, they're probably tired. Maybe they're not too excited about the day. So while we read this and we say, oh, then the reaper said, The Lord be with you, you might have had a couple guys who said, oh, The Lord be with you. Okay, sure. You know, maybe begrudgingly, we don't know the character of all of these individuals, but overall we see that the relationship between Boaz and the reapers is one of the grace of the Lord. And, and this is an interesting thing too, if you want to know where this comes from, it seems like it comes from Psalm 129 verse 8, where these words are exactly written and it may have been used as a, as a sort of benediction by the priest in the Old Testament as he dismissed the people. But what happens when Boaz hears about Ruth is that he goes to meet her. He says, "Who is this girl? Who where did she come from?" And then of course he gets the whole story. Boaz goes to Ruth and she he he blesses her immensely because of because of what he's heard about her. Not because this is something that she deserves. But in light of this this great grace that she's displayed to Naomi, he is is encouraged and prompted to do essentially the same kind of thing. Because grace is not about a reward and and payment kind of system where we say like, oh, I showed grace to somebody else. I deserve for somebody else to show grace to me. You know, when when he says all of this to her and you get Ruth's response, she says, uh, "Well, where'd it go? Verse 10. She fell on her face bowing to the ground. You don't do that when you like, deserve it, right? Like Boaz comes over and is like, Hey, you need to work over here. And this is really great. All those things have been told me. Wonderful job. And she goes, Yes, I, I, did, I have been doing a really great job. Thank you for noticing. It's not what she says. You, you, don't, you, don't, you hang your head high when you are, are proud of what you've accomplished. But she is working under grace. And she, so she falls on her face and says, Why have I found favor with you? How have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? This humility is not self-deprecating. It's just her way of acknowledging who she is before this guy who is uh, clearly a a man of good reputation. He's a worthy man. And she doesn't see herself as one who deserves a response like this. When he says, you know, everything's been told me about what you've done for your mother-in-law and that you left your native land and came to a people you didn't know before. Ruth's life becomes a testimony to what she believes about the Lord so it is with ours too. The way you work and the way you treat other people testify to where you stand with God, what you believe about him, what you believe about the gospel. And and I can tell you from, from a standpoint of where I worked a job for many years that that I kind of, you know, walked into like this and sat down and started making the sprockets on the computer, essentially, and just kind of had many days where I'd stop and wonder, like, what's even the point of this? I wish I was, you know, like a pastor or something like that. The Lord had me working there on purpose. And I can tell you that on the days where I recognized that that job was a grace in my life, it made an impact not only in my own perspective, but in the perspective of others around me. And it's not to say that that work is dignified by the prestige that humanity puts on it. To be the president of the United States or the janitor of an elementary school. Dignity is found in the God who gave the work to begin with. He is sovereign over all things and he orchestrates all things together according to his plan. And so we find dignity and value and worth and most importantly grace to testify to who God is in the midst of our work. So what does your work say about Christ? Does it say true things about him? Does it say things that you believe according to your actions that maybe not that very true? See, again, when we're working on our own steam, we run out of steam really quick. But the Lord is abounding in grace. So, verses 8 through 16, we see the favor of the Lord through Boaz. Boaz cares for her and he praises Ruth for her kindness. Um, he pr- promises protection from anyone who would want to do her harm or to mistreat her. He gives a provision of water that's meant for his servants. Um, he gives it to her as well. It's not something he was required to do. Then on top of that, later on, you see Boaz after dinner um, actually saying, hey, listen, other workers, you need to let her work with you, not just in the corners that were allotted to the poor, but to come into the middle and be as one of the family. Look at verses 11 and 12. Boaz says here, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now, if you've read Ruth before, or if you're aware of the language that comes out in chapter three, you know that this phrase of coming under the wings of refuge comes up again when uh, Ruth proposes to Boaz in chapter three. Um, so this is a very important moment here in verse 12. and And it's because... Boaz is recognizing that this is exactly what Ruth has done. He's come under the the wings of the Lord and found favor and and found great reward in him that is fully based on grace alone. Just as Boaz, sorry, just as Ruth did not stand on her rights, but looked for grace, so Boaz does as well. He, he not only looks for grace, but he extends grace. He extends beyond what, you know, he doesn't open up the Bible and say, no, it says right here, all I have to let you do is glean in the corners of my field, and that's it. He goes beyond that. And he, like Ruth, they are both working under the wings of the God of grace, who has so blessed them and given them this new beginning, which Boaz, not yet, but he will get it pretty soon here, too, in chapter 4. Boaz treats Ruth as part of his house, verses 14 through 16. Um, he gives her a meal. He offers her to work in the, in the inside with, uh, with his hired hands, not just the poor. What we see in all of this is how the Lord fixes our perspective of working on our own steam, of getting there by ourselves. The Lord has worked through the obedience of Christ to see that we are able to work with a view to his sovereign work as well so that we might be able to be obedient as well in what he's called us to do. This idea of taking shelter under his wings, I think we discover what Augustine was talking about when he said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, said the Lord. Ruth is actually one who, by all accounts and by our own understanding, doesn't even belong where she is in this story. She should be back in Moab. It's where she was in the first place. She shouldn't have left after her husband died. She should have stayed at home and found a new husband, found a new family, found a new life there. But because of God's great grace, she has found what she's needed all along under the wings of a gracious God. This is what we need to do as well. Because in Christ, we have truth like this in 2 Peter 1.3 that says that the divine power of God is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. We are called to the glory of God, to his excellence, to participate in that. And in doing so, he provides everything that we need for life and godliness or everything we need to live and in order to live godly in all of that. He's provided all of that through the knowledge of Christ. So if you feel like you are lacking provision, the thing that you're truly lacking is a clear view of who God is and what he has indeed provided to you, is what Peter would say. This is what Ruth teaches us. She shows us that she's found in God everything that she needs for life and godliness. And she works in light of that. She's gleaning under the wings of this gracious God. And so Calvin says, in our good works, nothing is our own. The good, good works that we do in Christ were prepared beforehand for us, Ephesians says. And they're not our own. Even though we act, out, we act them out, we are a part of them. So in all of this, we find two really great examples to follow. Ruth working under God's grace and Boaz working out God's grace. Ultimately showing us Christ and his great obedience to the Father to come and die on a cross for us, to rise again, to give us newness of life in him so that we too may work under God's grace. The solution, or or, yeah, the the main point of what we want to get to with this is not just to say, hey, thanks, Jesus. That was really great. I appreciate that you did that. But to sort of pick up our work and get about what God is calling us to do as well, because he has provided all these things to us in Christ. So we ought not say, I want a new beginning. I want to start over. That sounds really great. And I'm going to wait till God kicks that off for me. He's going to kick it off and work through your decisions, just like he did with Ruth, where it says that Ruth happened upon the field of Boaz. That, that was her choice, as it were, but it was also God's sovereign leading. God used that to bring about his great plan, and he's doing that with us as well. The joy of any work we do is found first in the completed work of Christ, and therefore all good work is dignified because he has purposed us for it. Because if you're redeemed in Christ, what you go to do then, if it is good, honest work, it is dignified and it is important and it is God-glorifying when we do it as unto Him rather than just for ourselves or for any other purpose. So Naomi, or rather Ruth, has this amazing experience, this amazing day of work, a hard day of work. Oh my goodness, She it says in verse 17, she gleaned in the field until evening. She worked from sunup to sundown. So she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, about five gallons. She took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave the food that she had left over after being satisfied. So this barley that she brought home, uh, it's, You might expect her to maybe bring home about a day's worth of work and a day's worth of food that she might need, but she ends up bringing home a week's worth of food. She ends up with a greater deal of grace than what she even set out to do. And so Ruth finishes this work. She shares it with Naomi. Naomi rejoices. And Naomi is now having this great change of heart. She's seeing what the Lord is actually doing. She's seeing evidence. It's as if Ruth came in with all this barley and she kind of like saw her for the first time. As We talked about last week that Naomi should have been amazed that Ruth followed her in the first place. But she's still after Ruth says, I'm going with you no matter what. And she says, okay, fine, I'll let you do it. She comes into Bethlehem and she changes her name to Bitter. She's not going to let people call her bitter anymore because she's realizing in her daughter-in-law and this, this person who is pouring grace into her life that she's been well cared for. So look what she says in verse 19. Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Ruth explains it was Boaz that Boaz's field that I went into verse 20 Naomi said to her daughter-in-law May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead Do you remember last week we talked about Naomi and and as much as we kind of wanted to be like come on Naomi You're not seeing some things here We also really wanted to resonate with her a little bit too, right because we've been there. We've we've been in grief We've been in loss. We've been dealing with these kind of things before and so we get that you don't have an immediate turnaround and you still, bitterness remains for some time in certain circumstances. Well, here is where everything turns around. She says, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. She's changed what she knows about God. She's embraced the truth of it because she she felt that the Lord dealt bitterly with her. But now she's saying he's been faithful not only to the living, that is me, Naomi, and Ruth, but he's also been faithful to the dead, to even Elimelech, and to my two sons. He's been faithful to all of us, no matter how we perceive things. She's getting this fresh vision, this fresh knowledge that his divine power has granted everything that they need for life and godliness. And then, an even greater thing comes, because that's a really great day. But then on top of that, Naomi goes, Boaz, he was related to Elimelech. He's one of our redeemers. What does this mean for Ruth? It means they might find a way out of their situation that they're in. They might find someone who would marry Ruth and buy the field that belonged to Elimelech and carry on the family name of Elimelech for him. But They just don't quite know yet. She just says he's one of the redeemers. And then we get in verse 23, she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, you can go ahead and read chapter three and pretend like this all happened within the span of a couple days or something. But this was the rest of the barley harvest where she was getting provision for each day. But long term, she was saying, harvest is going to be over pretty soon. I can look at the fields and I see like, boy, we're picking just about everything. What's going to come next? How do you get ready for the next thing? How do you keep working when you know that that work might be up at some point? Trust in the God who pours more and more grace. You trust in his past faithfulness that as you worked, he's worked through you and worked in you, not because you helped yourself as he helping you, but because he loves you, because he is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and kindness and mercy. So she works throughout this whole harvest season, uh, not with any hope yet because she hasn't had the conversation with Boaz yet. Boaz hasn't said anything. You know, she's probably wondering every day when she goes, she's like, he's a redeemer. Maybe he's going to say something about it today. And he doesn't. Boaz continues patiently rejoicing and trusting in the Lord for all that he has. What do we need to do? We need to give and receive grace in the same kind of way. If we're in a position to give grace to others, we need to give in abundance. We need to act out what the Lord has worked in us. If we're in need of grace, we need to trust in him to use the situations of our life as we seek to be faithful with what he's called us to do day by day, act in light of his providence that he will provide all that we need. From that, we can testify to the grace of Christ in receiving and giving to others. We're not working as though we have something to prove or something to earn, but we're working in light of his work in us. So one of my favorite verses for this, Philippians 2, 12 through 13 then. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Well, Ruth's patient trust in the grace of the Lord meant that she found provision and satisfaction in knowing she had what she needed whenever she needed it even if at the end of the barley, barley, barley harvest, she didn't know what was coming next. She knew who God was. She knew that he had been faithful to her. Naomi knew that, they, that he had been faithful to them as well. So she's going to move forward under the wings of a gracious God, gleaning and working for his plan, for his great glory. That's what we need to do as well. We, we have every reason. The, the, the way that this points us back to Christ is to say that he has done for us such a thing at the cross that there is nothing else that he could do more for you already. Uh, Paul says, how will he not also give us all things? He who who let his son die on a cross for us and, and rise again and give us new life, how will he not also freely give us all things? If we're feeling that lack, if we're feeling that we're missing out on grace, we need to dive into his word. We need to think back on his past faithfulness and trust him to move forward. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you have indeed been faithful. You've always been faithful to your people in the Old Testament, to your church in the New Testament. All we see in redemptive history is evidences of your great grace, your great love and care for your people. Today, Lord, if we are, if we are recognizing that in our work we might be working out of our own steam or for our own namesake or for our own plans or whatever that might be, Lord, would you reveal that to our hearts, that we might repent, We might turn to Christ at the cross and fall on our faces as Ruth did and say, how have I found favor in your sight? How have I been brought into such a wonderful family where now I'm sitting at the table with Christ, with his people in a place I don't deserve. Lord, let us indeed work in light of the grace we received and shower others with grace as we are able, as you provide through and for us so that people might know who you are might know your great character and your great glory. In Jesus' name, amen.